Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, it's Drea and Jackie, and we are having a lovely cocktail today. We are. Yeah, it's called wine. We didn't mess it up. We didn't mess it up. You know why? Not only is it just, not just wine, it's wine, but we had Karen. Karen came and taught us about wine. Mm-hmm. So Karen is a, a really good friend and she works at Chateau St. Michel Winery. Nice chapter. Um, she knows so much about wine. In a fun and approachable way. So approachable. <laughs> approachable is the big keyword we pulled away. There are wines that are approachable, wines that are not. She brought... What, seven to eight wines? I think that's true of cocktails, too, wouldn't mm. you say? There are approachable cocktails, mm. and there are cocktails with an acquired taste. Like Sirfron Acid. Uh, that's just for <laughs> party kids. Yeah. But like Campari. I've decided oh. I don't love the taste of Campari that yes. was in the Boulevardier, and it's in some other stuff. Yes. But I, I think if you have bought into that taste, it's just less approachable. Definitely. That's all. Definitely. Um, but uh, Karen was really nice. She came over. She brought seven to eight bottles over. And she did essentially a wine tasting with us. Dude, it was so fun. Check out our Instagram. Because I think mm-hmm. we there, we probably recorded twice to three times as much content as intended. We did a full hour yeah. of us just because we had so many questions. It was so fun. It was so much fun. Because I think this is my thing. When I go to a winery, and I think they know it. They get the vibe off me. I'm like, listen, I'm just here for the wine. Well, and I when I taste wine, every time mm-hmm. I go, mm, tastes like wine. <laughs> and I'm like, legs, quote unquote. Like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. And so she told us all about the legs and the tannins. And we, we had uh, some listeners uh, write in and they gave us questions to ask her yeah and we did like a rapid fire questioning answer it's at for the a end. Good conversation it was so and cool I've, you've been wine tasting before you just yes i have been i've 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 been wine tasting with people who did a great job explaining i think it's all about the vibe you're in mm-hmm. and whether you're willing to listen yes and i'm not always willing to no listen. <laughs> you know i mean? can contest the fact <laughs> yeah i was really in a space to hear what she said definitely so i think if you guys feel like you are in a like a receptive like mind state yeah go to a winery and like let them sell you their wares let them tell you the tales of their old vines because it's really it's a it's a science behind it and it's just like i mean you major in it yeah 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 and like davis has a major i love it i i should go back to school i'm just kidding don't (laughs) you done i changed my major like eight times (laughs) But anyways, no, it was so much fun. We learned so much. Definitely go check out those videos on our Instagram. Um, of those wines that we tasted, we uh, whittled we it both, down to two. We both picked one. Yeah. So Jackie picked one, and she tied her story into this wine. Jackie, tell me about your wine. My wine is a 2017 Cab Sav. Mm, yes. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, the legs on that. Yeah. So Old it gal. Had, like, those legs <laughs> didn't quit. <laughs> uh it's called born of fire oh god that one was so good it was our favorite one that was our favorite yeah i like that i picked our favorite that one we because we had the names beforehand and uh we had to pick our wines the name it was how i buy wine yeah by name and picture i was (laughs) like i like it (laughs) and she's like that's how wineries are now kind of marketing they're like we they know that people like come in and they have books by their covers so much to choose from and i definitely like there's a one wine bottle that has like uh old-timey criminal on it and like that's my favorite and oh. you can get an app and it comes alive yep um but Glow yeah in the dark 
and oh okay so the sinner there's the center of something she mm-hmm. brought. Yep. Um, that one it has this cool like a uh, skeleton on it and this fire background. It's r- super cool. And it's and, delicious. And it was delicious. And it glows in the dark. Yeah. So cool. They've they've figured out how to kind of add the wines are good. So what else can you do mm-hmm. to help sell them to get people to taste them? And what yeah. I loved about it is because I was like, okay, like I've never had a five hundred dollar bottle of wine, mm-hmm. but like I usually go for eight to ten dollars i was like what is that range you're shooting for that was cool and she was like you know honestly you can find an amazing bottle of wine for like twenty dollars yeah and you don't have to really go for those higher end it's kind of like the marketing of that bottle Mm -hmm. for the most part so let me tell you about my wine let me hear it all right so this is the bonafire wine like i said Mm -hmm. um and where it gets its name is because the grapes come from this area called the Burn. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's essentially like, it's kind of between Columbia Gorge and Horse Heaven Hills. So Columbia Gorge, uh, famous music venue, The Gorge. Oh, I saw Dave at The Gorge. <gasps> that's what everybody talks about. Yeah, I haven't oh. been. I want to yeah. go so bad. I want to see Dave at The Gorge. <gasps> Let's go. Yay. Wanna, <gasps> yes. Friend trip. Uh, you've kind of been to The Gorge. Have you uh. been, have you been to, uh... Like Hood River area? Yeah. We keep going, like the, the gorge. Oh, but it's, I haven't gone to a concert yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, yes. Have, I saw some windsurfers. Yes. And then I don't know where that other area is. I imagine it's probably the other side or, yeah. or near there. <laughs> um, but that's that's born of fire from the burn. Oh. Kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. It's a it's a 100% cab, cab sav. Yeah. Wine people know what I'm talking about. I'm going to spit <laughs> some game at you. It was so yummy. Oh, it was delicious. I think that's my new, like... I don't know where to find it, but I want it now. It's accessible. Like she was like, it's approachable. Yeah. And accessible. No, no, no. Like, (laughs) like, I think because she works for a winery and like the tendrils of, Mm -hmm. they're pretty, like, you you should be able to find these wines that we're talking about. Yeah. I like it. I'm stoked. And I recommend, like, we had so much fun and these wines were so good. Yes. We're not big wine people. And she was like, you won't offend me if you don't like any of these wines. I was waiting for the wine I didn't like. And I was like, ooh, how am I going to. I liked them all. I liked them all, yeah. And we went, Fire was 100% We favorite. went from a Riesling to a Rosé to Champagne to we did reds, we did whites, we did blues. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. We learned we like wine. I'm going to say, <laughs> I always knew like I could drink wine, but I didn't really appreciate it and like it like it. I think I'm going to put wine in the same boat as gin. I didn't think I liked gin. And I like gin, and I like its complexities, and I like drinks that are made from it. Mm-hmm. I like wine. You just needed to open that door. You needed that, like, favorable experience. I pretty much would only choose to drink wine if I was, like, having dinner with my parents. Mm-hmm. Or I was over at, like, Kim and Griffin's house, and they're big wine people. And yeah. I have wine with them. Well, now look at you. Yeah. I was a real, uh, like, a peer pressure wine drinker. <laughs> and now I might be like, you know what? I'm going to have I'm gonna have a glass of red. Yeah. With this steak yeah, or whatever. Or this delicious seafood dish. <laughs> Do you do a red wine with seafood? Maybe have, maybe everyone's cringing right now. Going, Jacqueline, you dummy. It's white wine. How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? Actually, did you know what foods your wine pairs with? Oh, I, ooh, I'll, you know I'll tell you. There? Okay. Tell me the other ones, but I saw pulled pork sandwich and I went, yeah. <laughs> okay. So pairs with, well with beef sliders, Caribbean pork sandwiches, uh, gnocchi with braised beef brisket and garlic chicken wings. Those are so specific. Everything there is so savory. And yeah. I would eat all of those things. I'm immediately starving right now. Garlic chicken wings? Ugh. Gnocchi? Oh, wow. When's the last time you had gnocchi? Oh, my God. 
Jack- you just threw your phone. That's how excited you were to tell me about whatever you're about to say. The first time I had gnocchi <laughs> was the best time I had gnocchi. Jackie, I was 13 you, years I old. I wish people could see you're <laughs> grabbing your hair right now. You're having a moment describing this gnocchi to me. I was 13 years old and we were having... Um, was it a red sauce or a pesto or what was going on? Do you remember? Uh, it was a pesto. Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and it was like a reception for a wedding. So we were, we were there like, oh, and it was just, oh, it was glorious. And then there was like a flower later, chocolate cake later, the whole thing. It was just, it blew my mind. Yeah, you've been transported to another time. And then since then, I've been chasing that white horse. I'm like trying to get that feeling of those fluffy dough balls in my someone, mouth again someone tell us where to get really delicious gnocchi yeah. especially like if you can give us a central oregon mm. tip off that maybe ariana's <gasps> right yeah and they have wine <gasps> we have let's little... go on a date the three of us yay and we'll get gnocchi and have wine and have yes! so much fun i'm so excited We'll dress up. We'll make it a whole thing. We'll have courses. How great. I'm excited. I'm going to need to hustle. Yeah. We need to yeah, get paid. <laughs> get our tax returns back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we could go. No, I'm so super excited. Okay. Enough about us. Enough about wine. I'm ready for murder. Story time. Story time. Bruh, bruh, bruh. All right. Uh, so, again, big up to Wikipedia. Uh, there was a website, criminalminds.fandom, uh, Murderpedia, and then uh, Oxygen had a whole thing about it. But most of my stuff came from a podcast I discovered mm. uh, called True Crime Brewery. Nice. And the episode was Firestarter. Born of Fire. Is that how you got Wheel This will all make a ton of sense in a okay. moment. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right in. I hate you. <laughs> when I was doing the edits... Last week when we were listening to it, I was like, oh, my God, I did. I do. I do say. Okay. It's I'm going to dive time. right in. It's every time. Oh. So I'm just, you know, I'm going to dive right in. <laughs> the water's fine. The water's fine. October of 84. There's a. Hey. Aw. <laughs> Kimri saying, aw. It, she was, it, was, it was her birthday. Yeah. I'm birthday about month. to tell the story of Kimri. <gasps> Born a fire. Unfortunately, I'm going to tell the story. Of a different tale. Uh, there was a fire mm-hmm. in the Ohl's Home Center hardware store in Pasadena, California. Okay. Um, so essentially LA. Where? Ally. Ally. <laughs> um, four people died in this fire, one of which was a two-year-old kid. So there was oh. like a grandma shopping with her grandson oh. and like two workers who lived there. Okay. Or lived there. I've yeah. had some wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two workers that worked there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes a little bit more sense. Um, originally, so this fire, it was super fast. Flashed over really quick. Burns the whole building down. Like, within five minutes, the whole thing from one side to the other burned. Um, originally, when arson investigators come, they're like, oh, yeah, mom, electrical fire. Everything's normal here. All looks, you know, it's all, it's a sad tale, but everything's on the up and up. Um, but there is an arson investigator named John Leonard Orr who goes, um, no, this is arson. Hmm. Um, he will ultimately be proven right that the fire started in some highly flammable, um, like polyurethane products that were over in a little corner. And that was why it burned so hot and so fast. So go ahead. That's insane to be able to look at a fire scene. So everything is burned to mm-hmm. like shard, like, like charred. Yeah. 
that's insane to be able to figure out like i always thought that that was fascinating yeah to be able to like have that skill and he's kind of the lone dissenting voice he's like uh you guys are not investigate like it it, will come i'm gonna explain john in a little bit but like he's kind of inflammatory in his like he expects ridiculous levels of professionalism from people Mm -hmm. and he's kind of like this wasn't investigated no way like this is definitely arson blah 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 and again ultimately he's right so who is this john orr character right is it um he's born april 26 1949 grows up a pretty happy kid uh he lives so his parents his grandparents had a house and then behind that was like another little house a little like two-bedroom house and that was where he lived with his mom and his dad and he had two older brothers um when he was about 16 his mom just like pieces out just kind of like disappears his older brothers are already gone like they're in the military and in college um so just kind of leaves him and his dad and then the grandparents that are across the way um in and this is kind of the beginning of like he kind of has issues with ladies and a little bit stems from like his mom just kind of leaving abruptly yeah not having that figure in his life yeah so uh in 1967 uh john is an adult he joins the air force he starts out as a mechanic um but he gets transferred to like the firefighting division of wherever he is so in 1968 he marries his high school squeeze her name's jody they get transferred to spain so he's in spain he's a firefighter for the air force he's living with jody um but the whole time he's like this is super boring there's been like two plane crashes and nothing's going on i hate it then he gets transferred to Montana, and Montana's even more boring. And he's like, okay, I've fought, like, one fire. He's not into it. So he, like, does his time. By the time he's discharged, he has an honorable discharge when he's, like, 22. Um, and he's, like, ready to start his career. So he and Jody have just had a baby. So he's like, let's get this going. He has always wanted to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. He, like, wants that badge. He wants that respect. Like, he's into it. Um so he manages to get an invitation from the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, so he passes the written exam. He passes the fitness test, but he fails the psych exam. Mm. And he comes up as unsuitable. Interesting. Um, it's kind of a scathing letter. So the letter says uh, that he's more than welcome to go see another psychologist. Um, so he hires one. He just finds one in the yellow pages. And he's like, hey, talk to me. Um, and that dude that he hired is like, you are suitable to be a police officer. Mm. So then he's like, okay. So then he goes back. So he's appealing his denial with the LAPD. The Which is interesting that they let him go find his own psychologist. Well, it might have been that they were like, hey, you should seek. Oh, you should seek something. Help. Gotcha. I, don't, I don't know. Oh, I'm oh, oh, that up, oh okay. So he goes and he hires this other guy and he's like, no, you're fine. Like, you should appeal it. So then he appeals it. And he's like, hey, this other psych guy says I'm fine. So then he meets with the LAPD psychologist um, and he won't tell John why he failed, but he's kind of like musing and he's like, well, you know, like you might be too passive and cops have to be a little bit more assertive. Um, that's just kind of like stuff he's saying. Mm-hmm. But then he also kind of like with a wink and a nudge, he's like, I'm gonna go get a coffee. And he leaves John's file on the desk. What? And at no point does John ever admit to reading the file. Uh-huh. Um, Would you read the file? If it was yours? Oh, yeah, Curiosity Killed the Cat, for sure. <gasps> I, ah, I couldn't. I try to put myself in that. If I'm in a police building mm-hmm. and it's official and I'm not supposed to, I'm enough of a rule follower that I yeah, probably wouldn't. I couldn't. But if it wasn't ruly, if it wasn't revolving around rules and I'm not supposed to, I think I would read... Yeah, I think I'd read. Hard to know. Because I also know when you get offered the, like, if you had a superpower, 
to read my 100% I do not want to read people's minds. Mm-mm, gross. I don't know what I don't know what you're thinking about other things. I don't know what you're thinking about me. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so he reads this paper. <laughs> And uh, it says that part of why he's failing this background check is that a coworker had talked like where he was working was saying he's lazy, he's late all the time, he gets really jealous when other people get promotions. So there's all this stuff from background check from other people, how they're describing him. Gotcha. That's kind of what's making him fail. Um, and then in the evaluation, it says he just needs a few more years to mature and he can apply again. Mm. Okay. So at the time, he was working for this like bottled water company. And the supervisors didn't really think much of him. He's not getting along with them. They're part of, like, who was describing him as not that great in his background check. So he leaves there, and he starts with this, like, management program with a fast food company. Mm -hmm. And he does that. Then he, like, bebops between a couple different fast food chains. And he's just kind of, like, being a manager and doing that stuff. But all the while, he, like, really wants to be a cop. Yeah. Um, So it's the early 70s. I feel like he's had another kid by then. He decides... Well, if I can't be a cop, maybe like I can be a firefighter. I have this firefighting experience from the military. Like, let me let's go the, down this route. So he applies for. He's like, and I'll be a shoe in. Like I, I've already done this job. So he's accepted for training into L.A. Fire Department, but he fails the physical, and he fails the written test. Oh no! Um, he's essentially told like you need to leave or you're going to be fired. <gasps> whoa so this is kind whoa. of a, this is kind of a blow and he's like uh so first of all he's mad that like he's already done the job he's like this should just i i don't know why i have to so he didn't even try everybody. no yeah there's all these like study groups of people who are studying for the test and he doesn't join them mm-hmm. and he had all this experience with the air force and all their equipment was different so he's used to these like lightweight aluminum ladders and everything that the la fire department uses are heavy wooden like it's just harder yeah and he didn't feel like he needed to train or get stronger or be familiar with the equipment so he failed yeah uh and he's been out of shape about it so he's a little bitter betty he's got two kids now uh, he's not getting along with his wife. I think you'll gain a theme that he's hard to get along with. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a couple wives and he's going to have <laughs> uh, many partners. Um, okay, so he eventually finds his way to the Glendale Fire Department and gets invited to be a part of all that. At the time, Glendale is the lowest paying fire department in all of California. Whoa. And so it might have been a little bit easier to get on with that fire department because there's less competition, competition to get on to get it. In. Yeah, because yeah, they don't pay very well. Um, so in 1974, he graduates the fire academy and he starts working for Glendale. Um, he's super, he doesn't, he's not into his wife and his family. He's bored when he's not at work. So he just picks up a part-time job at 7-Eleven. And he's like, I'll just oh, spend time here. Interesting. He uh, buys a pickup truck and he just starts going on camping trips by himself. Uh-huh. He's like, like he's, living his own separate life. Yeah. He wants nothing to do with them. So then it's kind of weird and bizarre, and he befriends this coworker at 7-Eleven, this other lady, and she's not into her life. And by all accounts, this is platonic. They're both like, let's leave our spouses and just be roommates. Uh-huh. So then they leave their spouses, and then he now he just has this apartment that he shares with this other gal. He left his wife and his kid. Left his wife and his kid. Left a note. What? Hey, I'm going for milk. I'll be back. Yeah. I mean, th- I think the note was like, I'm out. Interesting. But he's like, we're done. Ugh. Okay, so then he starts taking all these courses, and he's, like, really into being a firefighter, and he also, at the same time, he's still got this, like, cop bug. Mm -hmm. He really wants to be a cop, so he's like, ah. 
And when he's at 7-Eleven, he gets really into, like, catching shoplifters. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm going to be a security guard. And he's, like, really into the idea of being a security guard in his downtime instead of being at 7-Eleven. So then he stops all these. He's, like, gaining attention at the 7-Eleven for being really good at finding shoplifters. Mm-hmm. And then when he's, like, out and about in his normal life, he's also, like, watching people at the mall. Like, he stops shoplifting at a... It's not a Sears. Maybe it's a Sears. But anyway, some sort of department store. And then, like, when he's talking to the security guards, he's like, hey, how, like, I'd I'd love to have this job. How do you guys, do you guys hire people? Like, Mm -hmm. what's the deal? And they're like, oh, you've got to be a cop. You have to be a off-duty cop. Really? Or you have to be a retired cop. Interesting. um, For whatever mall he's talking to. And they're like, oh, this mall, we only hire cops. And he's like, he's a little irked again because, like, he just keeps being out out of reach for this cop stuff. That same day that he stopped that mall thing and he's talking to those security guards, he's he catches another dude. Oh, this is when the Sears comes in. He catches this old man shoplifting at a Sears and he's talking to the Sears people and he's like, hey, I'd really like. So not only earlier that day, like part of me is like, is this dude really catching people or is he just like, hey, that person's stealing? Yeah, they weren't. But anyway, he starts talking to these security guards and they're like, oh, you have to be a cop to do night shift, but you could do day shift. So then he gets this job. He's like, boom, I'm at like, peace out, 7-Eleven. I'm done. I'm going to be a security guard at this Sears and in my off time. And I'm going to also be a uh, firefighter. And he starts like making a name for himself as a security guard at the Sears. He like catches this couple that's whole like 30 grand and stuff. Whoa. Like he's catching people left and right. Yeah. Uh, so now he gets married again and he requests to be put on Hill Patrol. Which means you get your own pickup truck. It's got a big water tank attached to it. And you just kind of monitor hillside and like grass fires. Mm. You're into like preventative measures for fire. Uh, You do inspections, citations, stuff like that. Um, What he really liked was you don't have to be anywhere. Like you're kind of on your own. You're just Mm. out in a truck Mm -hmm. working in in quotation marks. In the wind, yeah. Um, And he, but again, he's kind of this like weird vigilante. So he like finds all these kids that are setting fires to and he's really good at making kids admit to setting fires on these like hillsides Hmm. um but he gets a little overzealous and he uh he kind of cites the wrong dude so there's this guy who's got he's not he's not creating defensible space around his home Mm -hmm. and so john comes and he's like hey boom citation you need to clear the shrubbery away this is a fire danger and that guy's like "Mm, i'm not gonna do it and then John's like, you got to do it. This is, what are you talking about? I am the law. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, no, nah, my friend's the mayor. Like, cool your jets. Calls the mayor, calls the bop, bop it up. It pops through like five or six different people. And John gets told, leave it alone. Oh, shit. And he's so bad. Oh. He's like, the injustice of it <laughs> So there was a, a full-time, they'd posted a position for an arson investigator. And John was going to apply for it. And then he gets so bent out of shape about this whole, like, dude wiggling out of having to pay his fine. He's like, no, I'm just going to be a firefighter. Forget it. Hmm. Everything's wrong with the world. So, meanwhile, he's being a shithead husband. He's still going off on these camping trips. Uh, He gets this other friend in the fire department. And they go off on camping trips and, like, pick up chicks when they go. And, like, he's just cheating on his wife. And uh, then on a fire, he finds this um incendiary device Mm -hmm. so it's a cigarette that's rubber banded to a bunch of uh, matches Mm -hmm. so essentially the cigarette acts as a time delay Mm -hmm. and then it hits the matches and it starts these fires so he gets a lot of of attention for that so uh he kind of 
he eventually gets coaxed back into fire investigation because he's doing well in all these other things. And the chief or the captain, whoever it is, like pulls him in. He's like, look, man, I really want you to apply for this. Mm -hmm. I I think you're good for it. And he's like, all right. So in the meantime, so he he's a security guard. He wants to he he gets a concealed carry permit Mm -hmm. so he can carry his own gun. While on duty? Yeah, because oh. he's a private citizen. Uh-huh. So he gets, so he's like this like uber security guard. Yes. That's power tripping. And then when the- That's not good. When the fire department's talking to him, they're like, hey, if you get this role, like you can carry a gun, you'll have your own car, like you'll have all this freedom back, like we would love to have you do this. And he's like, all right. So he agrees to go for this job. Yeah. But in order to go for it, he has to take all these other classes. So now he's going through all these- um, arson investigation classes and he has to go on like part of the whole thing of like hey you need to figure out how to deal with people he starts going on ride-alongs with the cops so he can watch how they investigate Mm -hmm. and so he's going through this real educational phase yeah he's he's starting to live his dream oh yeah yeah very much so apex of his life so in the meantime so he gets this promotion the Glendale Fire Department, part of why they weren't being paid well is that they were not in a union. So they unionize and now they become one of the top paid departments Whoa. in the whole state. So he's, he's already in. Yeah. He's yeah. making bank. He's got the job he wants. Like everything's going really well for him. Yeah. Um, he catches this pyromaniac. So pyromania is like the um, you're, this compulsion to set fires. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes like a sexual element to it. Like you just have to set fires and you get off on it. Mm-hmm. Pyromaniacs to harm people or just to fire. Watch you're the just fire. into fire. Okay. So you're you're not necessarily uh, seeking out to kill people. Not necessarily just to set. It, it can be a, a known consequence of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but John is he catches this pyromaniac and he's kind of like fascinated by it yeah and he's like "Ooh, this is weird and he like he's just super into it and he starts learning all about pyromaniacs and that pyromaniacs are five percent of arsons whoa it's not a huge percentage i think because they're super rare mm-hmm. and most arsons are probably like insurance fraud yeah and, like, wanting to kill people and other weird stuff but so uh he starts learning about all that and in the meantime so because he's so fascinated by that he writes this article and it comes out and like it's well received he's a good writer so he starts writing more articles and this is kind of the beginning of him becoming this like iconic arson investigator Mm -hmm. and he kind of becomes a figurehead like he hosts things um he's really renowned in his field so he gets married again and divorced again um he starts studying he wants to be a fire captain like he's all about his career um meanwhile while all this is going on, Glendale is experiencing all sorts of incendiary fires. And uh, John explains the increase. He's like, well, we've never had anyone who knew about, like, there's, it's kind of like, is there suddenly an uptick in ADHD or do we just know how to test for it? Test for it. Now Mm -hmm. we like have a different way of, so he's saying like, yeah, like statistically these are way up, but it's only because people were getting away with it for so long. Mm -hmm. Like I'm on it. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, reputation's growing. He gets this gig. So there's like a, a five day arson. Like he gets to host the exams for having people like get their degrees for this. Um, he puts on all these educational displays. He's like lighting warehouses on fire and like Whoa. telling people how to watch how the different things are going. So um, he's an expert in his field. He's an he's, expert yeah. in his field. Um, he's a big deal. So 
Then he gets called to a store. So all of that leads up to now he goes to his biggest fire ever, which is a hardware store in Pasadena, California. So that's where he's the one where he's like, I found this incendiary device. This is an arson, blah, blah, blah. So that brings us back to that beginning story. Yeah. All right. Where's this going? Okay. I've been thinking it was him all, all along. <laughs> what is going on? So... Now it's 1985. He gets married again. Mm-hmm. Uh, his investigation partner. So you get teamed up when he's the arson guy. You get a cop who detective. And essentially the two of them are the arson team of Glendale. So that guy's like, dude, John's impossible to work with. I'm out of here. So that guy leaves. Then in 1987, there's a essentially like an arson conference. And it's multiple days. It's in Fresno, California. There's 242 people attend. John is there. Uh, the first evening of the conference, there's a fire set in a sleeping bag display at a Payless drugstore. What? There's some di- like differing eyewitness accounts of like seeing a guy dressed like a fisherman. Um, they don't really have anything great to go off of, but it's kind of a small fire that gets put out pretty quickly, so they don't really give it much attention. Mm-hmm. But then two days later, conference is still going on. There's a fire at Hancock Fabrics. Again, kind of weird eyewitness accounts they don't really match um and this was in a storage bin filled with styrofoam um ends up being the point of origin hmm. then and these become big fires or they, they get put out pretty quickly uh, i think both of those get put out pretty relatively quickly Def- damage in all of these for sure yeah uh, but the hardware store is the one where like it went really fast and people died so they find an incendiary device, and it's a cigarette bundled with some matches. So it's the same mm, kind of M-O. device in all of these different things. Uh, <gasps> then a house of fabrics down the street, an employee finds a similar device in a box full of pillows that didn't, in, like, engulf <gasps> everything. It just, like, burned the wall. Yeah. The last day of the conference, there's another fire an hour away at Surplus City in a sleeping bag display. And then an hour later in the same town at a family bargain center in a wooden display full of foam pillows. <gasps> so essentially every time they keep finding a cigarette mm-hmm. rubber banded with matches mm-hmm. put in sleeping bags, pillows, yeah. these highly flammable polyurethane products. Only this last one, they find a piece of yellow notebook paper is also wrapped up with it. Uh And the idea was so that it would take longer to burn, but then when it burned, it would burn hotter. Yeah. So now, like, the device has changed a little bit. They Um, want it to catch fire. Yeah. Yeah. So this one has a better eyewitness because they saw someone that was holding yellow binder paper Mm. earlier in the store. So they, again, every time... They're not. It's like a white dude. Like there's no yeah. great. What an um, interesting thing to remember about somebody. Like oh, they were holding, holding binder paper. Yeah. yeah. So then a couple hours later, again. So this is the all of this is on the last day of the conference. Um, so we're starting where the conference is. Now we're an hour away. Then there's another fire. Then mm-hmm. we're another hour away. I so see now, what's going on. Now we're in Bakersfield. Um, an employee at a craft mart discovers another fire. So Calm now we're down. Now we're in Bakersfield and a fire investigator comes out. And that dude's name is Marvin Casey. Um, he finds the same type of device. It's got the yellow paper. It's got the cigarette, all that stuff. While he's investigating that one, another fire is in Bakersfield. Oh, my God. With the same device. So all these fires are all happening along Highway 99. So Casey puts together this theory. He's like, all right, look, there's an arson conference going on. Yeah. There's a bunch of fires in that town. There's a bunch of fires along the highway leading away from that on the day that it ends. Yeah. So he's like, I'm 
thinking that this might be someone in the field. Yeah. And everyone's like, boo, Casey. No. <laughs> How dare you? Not one of us. No, Not boo. one of us. <laughs> so one of these pieces of paper, they find a thumbprint on it. <gasps> and they get 13 points. And the FBI only needs three po- uh, excuse me, seven points. Okay. So they have more than enough points to be definitive about is this the a person's fingerprint. And the reason they have, like, they because it's multiple cities, the ATF gets called in. So now they've got feds on the case running these fingerprints and stuff. So Casey's talking to them, and he's like, hey, here's my theory. I think we should run this list. And they're like, no, Casey, that's a bit of a reach. We'll run it against criminals. So they run it against criminals, and they don't get any hits. Casey's like, damn, all right. Because he had narrowed everything down to a list of, like, 55 people. Mm. And he was running off of, like, were you traveling to the conference alone? Mm. Were you traveling along Highway 99 and this is your way home? Like, he had all these different criteria and came up with, like, here's my list. And they wouldn't run it. So then 1989, so two-ish years later, there's another conference in Pacific Grove. So this is kind of near Monterey. Uh just as before, there's a whole series of arsons. What? All around this conference. What? Same MO, incendiary devices, all this stuff. This is fascinating. Okay, so now Casey's super pumped. He's like, all right, come on. This is too much of a coincidence. We've got two arsons. Come on. Yeah. So then he runs the list of the previous conference with this new one. Same. He gets a list of 10 people. And he goes to the ATF and he's like, please, we got to run these, just these 10 names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They run it. John's on this list. Yeah. Yeah, he is. No matches. No, 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 no. John's fingerprints do not hit as a Is it his toe print? What's going on? No. In the meantime, John John gets promoted to fire captain. No. Uh, He starts talking about how he's going to start writing a novel, and he's going to call it Point of Origin. It's going to be a a fiction book about Uh a fire investigator. Uh Uh-huh. All right, time goes on. It's 1990, 1991. Uh, there's a rash of arsons all throughout Southern California. A task force is created because there is an arsonist, and they name themselves the Pillow Pyro Task Force because he keeps setting off. Pillow Pyro. P- p- pillow. P- how much wood could a woodchuck chuck? <laughs> if a pillow could chuck fire. Yes, okay. Pillow Pyro Task Force. Great. All right. Now, there's another conference in Fresno. It's back in Fresno again. I imagine it bops around. John doesn't go. He sends his partner. It's a new guy. He's training. Uh, wouldn't you know, Andrea? What? There aren't any fires in Fresno. What an idiot. He There's should've... a bunch of fires going on in Glendale. He should have went there to throw everybody <laughs> off his scent. So, oh, my God. The fires are not where he is. They're in Glendale. Ugh. So, uh, and he's being a real weirdo. So, he's getting a little bold and sloppy. He's like, potentially. Uh, what do you, what's the word? Um... Uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> setting these fires and then like getting to them before like people are like, I passed John. And I was like, how is John already there? Already responding to How's this fire? How's he responding fire? to this fire? Did he come with the first engine? So is he doing, okay, allegedly. Is he allegedly doing this? Oh, okay. We'll get there. I have so yeah. many questions. Okay. okay so, fine. Go ahead. Uh, and then like he runs into this one guy who's like, how'd he get here? Oh, well, he's, he's, Oh, he's amazing. Well known, renowned. Like he's he also is kind of known for this. On his days off, he'll just respond to fires. He'll show up. He'll take videos of like everyone now. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and they're like he would just video fires, and we all thought he was like creating curriculum for his classes. <laughs> he's really just fucking into fires. <laughs> so 
he shows up and this one firefighter is like hey john this house is on fire because all these house this is a huge fire in southern california and he's like this house on fire like wet this one down help like blah 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 here's your instruction you're a firefighter you know what you're supposed to do john like is not in a hurry goes to his truck gets like a smother blanket whatever goes into the house and he like covers a sofa with it so that like the sofa won't burn <laughs> meanwhile there's another house that can catch fire next door yeah house, like he's supposed to just like be spraying his house down and he leaves what the fuck and they're like what are you doing yeah so he's doing like weird stuff um his partner comes back so john is assigned to figure out who's setting all these fires Ugh. that he just helped not help oh my gosh and so he's not really doing it and then his partner comes back and he's like hey john what's the deal with this investigation and he's like oh dude i am so overworked i'm on all these other cases they're not giving me enough time to work on it um and the guy's like well let me help you because he leaves the conference he leaves fresno to come back he's like all these fires are happening in glendale i need to go back home yeah and john's like oh what are you doing here like we're, we got it covered like yeah. go back and he's like no like i'm gonna this is my job and he's like like where are we on investigations have we started like going house to house have we started talking to people um because that's their job and he's like no the police are doing it this time um that's not on us again i'm so overworked like it's fine that the police are doing it so this guy goes to the fire marshal and he's like, what in the world? How come John is so overworked? Why do you have him on all these cases? And the fire marshal's like, he's on one case. He's on these fires. And I've approved OT. He needs to be working on these fires. So then he's like, okay. So then the guy's like, you know what? I'm not going to talk to John. I'm just going to start asking people questions. And I'm yes, going to start canvassing the neighborhood. Do it. And every t- person he's talking to, the police have not been talking to them. And he's like, I don't think the police are out here investigating this. Like John said they are. Mm-hmm. 65 homes were burned. <gasps> No lives were lost, and uh-huh. that's the only reason it's not a bigger deal in the papers. Yeah. It's just everyone's mementos. It's a big financial loss. Like, pets died, Ugh. but no people died. Yeah. Okay, so L.A. keeps getting set on fire. It's obviously arson. Uh, there's multiple task forces now that are like, we got to figure out who's doing these. And they all kind of start connecting with each other. This dude, Scott Baker, is at one of these events, and he they're like circulating like an mo of like who they think the person is and he's like um based on what this says you guys got to go talk to captain casey down at bakersfield he thinks it's an arson guy so then they go and they're like all right captain casey what's your what do you think and what's your list so now they're back into the idea of is it a firefighter is it somebody that's yeah. in the industry he's like finally thank yeah. you like oh and he was like oh thank you <laughs> it's been killing him so they reach out and he they get the fingerprint evidence from him. Yes. And they're like, all right, let's run it again. They're talking to the ATF. The ATF is like, ugh, okay, well, they run it again through the criminals just in case somebody's gone, like, that wasn't in before is in now. They don't get a hit on the criminals. And they're like, okay, we're not going to run it off of necessarily the list that Casey made, but let's put it into professionals in the that have given their, you know, blah, blah, blah. They get a hit for John. Hell yeah. So now it hits for John. Yes, because before when they did the... It was just an error. The dude read it wrong. <gasps> because when you do fingerprints, they, you just look at it with your eyeballs. They would have caught it years, no! years earlier, but the dude just read the fingerprint wrong. Oh, that sucks. Because that's, you know, we're all human. That yeah, happens. It's just human it error. Just, like, what are the odds that it would happen on that fingerprint on that day with... Oh, insane. Okay. So essentially, when they first send it off, because yeah. they're like, all right, let's run it again. So... The way I think they kind of get away with it, and this is, I'm, I'm inferring this a little bit, they're like, let's run it against criminals. Mm. And they go, okay, 
let's run it against everybody in the industry to discount it. We don't want it to come back on a firefighter from the scene mm-hmm. or any of these other things. It's like running against the the main police officer. Then it hits to John. So the lab calls when they're giving the results and they're like, what kind of sloppy work are you guys doing that this firefighter got his fingerprint on this piece of evidence? Like you, And they're like chastising everybody. And they're like, oh, no, it's what we thought. It's John. Ooh. <gasps> That's insane. So now they're like, all right, it's probably John. We got to catch him. Yeah. So they start surveilling him. Yeah. They put a tracker under his car, which he sees. <gasps> he sees it? He stops, he, 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 stops <gasps> by, he stops by a police station and he's totally fucking with them. He goes, I think there's a, I think someone put a bomb on my car. <laughs> and they're like, what? And they come out and they're like, oh, we, and he's like, you know what? I'm. And there are the police hip on this or who's hip on this? It's a, probably, probably a really a small team. Yeah. Team. So the yeah, other yeah. police are like, oh, doesn't look like a bomb. Uh, we'll call our bomb people out. And he's like, no, I'm comfortable with bombs. It, it looks stable. <laughs> I'm going to drive it. I'm going to drive it to your bomb place and have oh, them look at okay. it. Okay. So he's onto the bomb. He keeps, and he's being tailed. Uh-huh. And he keeps like driving erratically and he'll like speed across multiple lanes. He'll go through red lights. Like he's just fucking with them. Yeah. He knows that they're following yeah. him. Yeah. And there's no fires. Suddenly, all these arson, like all the fires stop. Weird. While there's a task force and while they're following him. Uh-huh. And it lasts a certain amount of time. And then eventually the fires do start back up again. There's a fire at a Warner Brothers lot. So like there's a story where like he calls wanting directions to get somewhere where there's a fire. And then later they're like, I know he knows how to get there. And the security guards say that he's been there multiple times. And like all of this circumstantial stuff starts bubbling up of mm-hmm. like so ultimately with the fingerprint with all this other stuff uh because then they put another tracking device in his car that they like buried in the dash that he mm-hmm. couldn't find so they start wrapping up all this evidence eventually they arrest him they put him through trial he's found guilty uh he gets life in prison wow. he was gonna get the death penalty and then like it went through all these like i think his daughter came and was like please no uh and he is in jail wow what a- he was okay. He was a fire captain. So, so did he ever say why he did all these fires? Okay, I forgot this part. So, remember I talked earlier. He was going to write a novel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote a novel during everything. And in this novel, there is an arson investigator and an arsonist. Like he is, like he's writing the story of his life. Fiction, right? It's fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he writes this, and it's all about how this guy like gets off on fire. Like everything, it's about him. So then. They know that he's written this book, but it hasn't come out yet. Like, he's turned it into the whatever. Mm-hmm. So this task force is like, it's John. They're following him. Like, they know it's him. They're like, how do we read this book? So they find a firefighter who is also an author, and they have him reach out to John and be like, hey, firefighter to firefighter, I'm a professional writer. Can I read your manuscript? And he's like, super pumped on it. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he like, <laughs> sends it over, and they're like, this is the fucking story of John. And he's all the fires are real fires. He changes like minute details. Whoa. There's a there's a fire in Pasadena at a hardware store called Hales instead of Oles. And <laughs> five people die instead of four people. One yeah. is a kid. Like all of it is like mildly changed Jesus. details of all the fires he's ever set. Do you so was he always into setting fires or did he just kind of get into it? Like had it always been going on and they just started I think by the it- time he, you know, the the hardware store fire was really early into his career. Like, he was a investigator by that point. But I think he was setting a bunch of those hillside fires. 
Because they were all like he, the first incendiary device that he found. Like that's yeah. his device. Yeah. Or was that the one that spurred him? Be like, oh, this was ingenious. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, he was in it. He was like, ah, I can't think of the thing. Oh, well, uh, well, I guess Dexter. You could say like he's yeah. He have you ever seen the movie Backdraft? No. It's a great. 80s 90s it's a great flick it's a ron howard film it's all about firefighters mm-hmm. and there's these backdrafts that keep like someone keeps setting these really elaborate fires it's a great movie yeah. you should watch it i'm yeah. not gonna like there's little spoilers <laughs> in there the fact that like how i'm bringing it up but it's great yeah <gasps> someone it. who knows fires is setting fires <laughs> um jackie well done that was amazing I don't very know if you long. kept seeing me, but I kept very long grabbing my hair <laughs> and like grabbing my like shoulders. I was so tense and yeah. like excited. It was a good, uh, yeah. There was, and there's so much stuff I didn't say. Like there's, it, you can there's so many details about every single one of those fires. There's mm-hmm. like forty fires that he said. Like yeah. there, it's crazy. So there's all sorts of. If you're into this story, there's way more. There's forensic file episodes. There's is he the most notorious like that I pyro in know. California? Ah. You know, I don't know if he's, like, the mo- I think it's the most, uh... Publicized? Yeah, or or the the fact that he was a prof- uh, fire professional. Mm-hmm. Like, that. now that's a thing where they look for it because people who are into fires will go into that line of work. Yeah, So they're very keen to it. And I think part of why they're so keen to it is because this was such a big deal yeah, in definitely. those early 90s. Oh, such a good story. John or crazy. Um, all right, guys, we are going to fill up our glasses with some more delicious wine and we'll be right back. Oh, hey there. Oh, I didn't see you. Oh, oh gosh. Oh, welcome to the mid roll. We have so much to tell you. So let's get to it. Kay. First of all, thank you so much for everyone who's donated. Yeah. Um, we got some new donations in. We want to b- give a big shout out to Andrea, Kathleen, and Karen. I like it. Thank you guys so much. You guys made this episode and future ones possible. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm I'm digging it. Yay, yay. <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of all this good news, we have um, a little listener um, suggestion. Okay. Okay. So remember how we talked about hot air balloons and you're like, uh-uh, yeah. it's going to yeah. smell like sulfur or something? I had a lot of opinions about hot air balloons. Okay, perfect. So we had um, Callie Ann write in. Um, that's her Instagram name. Okay. Um, and she's- Oh, like she's from Callie. She's Callie Ann. Eh, her name might be Callie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure her name is Callie. Oh, cool. Um, so she's like, I've been on a hot air balloon and my mom surprised my dad for his birthday. And we all went up on, um, like this family guided tour on this hot air balloon. And, um, she's like, I just want to say, no, it doesn't smell like sulfur. Okay. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Does well, it smell? I need to know what it smells like. Though. It doesn't smell like anything. I like how someone who doesn't have a sense of smell is so concerned about <laughs> what it's going to smell it like. It smells like fresh air okay, and fine, freedom fine. up there. Uh, she's like, it's kind of crazy while you're up there. There isn't a way to control the direction you're floating. Yeah. So why you, do people sign up for this? So you're kind of at the mercy of the winds yeah no thanks (laughs) and when she was landing um and she said like at least this happened with them because she's in a small town they have this like ground crew that's like driving underneath you and like 
sometimes like you're floating over people's houses so they'll have to they'll have to run up people's driveways and knock on the door and be like hey is it okay if we land in the field over there because it's about to happen this is silly um and then like as they were landing um no one was home so they descended pretty quickly into the field and then they had to like haul ass and pack up the balloon before the homeowners yeah you're gonna get shot Who signs up for this business? This is so silly. But look at her pictures. Oh, I yeah, I get it. Other people can have so much fun on hot air balloons. Yeah, we can too. But she said, okay, so they went up on uh, the air balloon, but they're like getting it all packed. So they were drinking champagne and eating chocolate. And um, they said, she said, it's kind of crazy up there because it's uh, just kind of like silent and just kind of like you're floating and it's really nice. And it's like, it's kind of like you're underwater. I'd be a nervous Nelly. I would do, uh, there's things I would really? do before that. I like don't want to show you this video, but I'm, I'm going to. Um, just know. Oh, it's something going wrong? Oh, no, weird. No, 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 no. Just watch it. Is it playing? Yeah. What's going on? I see a basket. Uh-huh. And we're going towards the ground. Uh-huh. What are you going to do to me? Nothing. Isn't it kind of going pretty quickly? Yeah. So when I first watched this, I didn't realize it was fast forwarded. And I was like, oh my God, they're really coming in for a landing. Can I tell you what I thought this was going to be? What? I thought there was going to be a swinging dick. (laughs) Oh my God. I I truly (laughs) thought that it was a trick and that all of a sudden I was going to have an eyeful. And you could see them like driving around. I get it. I just don't trust you. All right. (laughs) Anywho, thanks, Callie, so much. I don't think we convinced Jackie yet. I'm more convinced not to. What? I'm that convinced, convinced you to do it? Guess what? I'm going to go up there. Kimberly's going to go up there. You're going to get such bad FOMO. We're going to have the time of our lives. Our lives will be changed. We'll come down as different people, better people. And you're just going to still be Jackie. I'll be fine. <laughs> that was aggressive. And I apologize. It was. But I but really you- want you to go on this air balloon with me. Will it bother you guys if I don't go? Um, it, we're, It's bothering us that you won't sit in the same seats. When we go we to We are. Florida. We're about to book our plane <laughs> tickets and we're going to be sitting next to each other. Mm. I guess here's the thing. It's okay if we're not. But get in the hot air balloon basket with us. Sure. Yeah. This is two separate arguments. <laughs> I would rather I would rather sit by my friends than not sit by my friends. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not going to get bent out of shape if I've got to travel the normal way. You'd rather sit by a stranger. A human that you don't know smells weird. You don't know it's going to snore and sleep on you. It, they're going to pick their booger. They're going to sext on the plane. Oh, that, that did happen like, to you. That happened that to me. That did happen to you. That was awkward. Yeah. I guess I'm more concerned. I would rather annoy a stranger than annoy you guys. Oh, so I'm you're a fidget the, monster. You're the person next to me sexting. I'm not sexting or picking <laughs> my nose. Uh, I try to keep to myself. Mm. The only poor plane partner i've ever had was the weird couple that pretended like they didn't know each other that made me sit in between them Mm. and then they were having like a silent fight and the lady was picking lint off her pants and putting it on me (laughs) yeah that's the worst it's ever been for me so i just i don't have you know i don't know how bad it could be anyhow thank you guys so much i hope you enjoy the rest of the show (laughs) i will get you jackie i will get you Uh, in an air balloon (laughs) yeah Maybe. Uh, we are back from our break. Um, before I jump into my story, um, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that today is February 17th. Oh, yeah. So do you know what that means? It's a really important day. Um, whoosh. February 17th. Mm-hmm. We go back to Roman times? Oh, Jesus. No. I, I don't know anything about it. February 17th is the day before... A really fun day. 
Mm. February 18th is National Drink Wine Day. So you're welcome. You have a day's notice. <laughs> mm-hmm. to go get some wine. Yeah. I recommend Bornifier. Hell yeah. If you can find it. 100%. Which I think you can. And if you like reds, it's a very approachable red. Yes, yes. very much so. Um, okay, so I went ahead and picked the Calafuri Rosada. Rosado. Um, it's this really nice, like, rosé. Rosé all day. All day. Um, we had a whole conversation with Karen about hashtags. Mm-hmm. And how that is kind of a thing. Yeah, and how, like, canned wine is becoming a real thing. Which I I appreciate the move away from glass mm-hmm. for the people who are just going to do it anyway mm-hmm. when they want to go out to the beach, when they're going to go to the river, the lake, mm-hmm. that now there are options to not take that glass out there. Exactly, yeah. Um, so this rosé is 100% made from Negro uh, uh, Romero grapes, which is a really fun word to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, the whole time we were drinking it, Karen's like, do you, do you get those pomegranate notes? And we're like, oh... Yeah. yeah not quite but one day <laughs> um but i really like this one this one was really like soft and like very palatable um in case you're wondering my wine pairs great with seafood dishes Ooh, yeah i'm excited yeah can i uh, is this a safe space always can I, it's just us jackie can i tell you what i thought rosé was uh yeah watered down reds i <laughs> i thought <laughs> oh no that it was White wine and red wine mixed together. <laughs> it was like a blend. Yeah. Like like a That's what I thought leftover it was. I kinda... thought you took a white wine and you took a red wine and you just mix them a little bit. Oh. That's what I thought it was. Well, now you know. But uh, now I know that it's it has to do with the peels, right? Wasn't that mm-hmm. part of like the letting the peel color impart mm-hmm. into... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, words, 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 science, science, <laughs> science. It's not just red and white mixed together. Yes. Yeah. There's a passion behind this. Mm-hmm. Everything is thought out. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that... Oh, you have something more Another to say. Another tangent. <laughs> Let's do this. Do you remember when we went to all those distilleries? No. I, yes. <laughs> and I kept saying how I thought that it was more fun than going to wine tastings. Yes. Every distillery was so different and their story was so... And I was like, every wine tasting place is the same. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, now that I know a little bit more... If we went wine tasting, if I would feel the same way or if I would appreciate it more. Now that we have an appreciation for wine. I definitely yeah. think, because 100%, it's like I said earlier, I would always go close-minded, be like, no, I'm just trying to get my money's worth. Yeah. I'm not Quit spitting. trying to sell me your $50 bottle of wine. <laughs> I'm not spitting any of this wine Are there out. more pretzels? Yeah. <laughs> Are there more nuts? I know there's more nuts back there. Um, I would love to do a wine tasting with you guys. And I think you know what I'll be wearing. A big hat. A According giant to you, hat. a big hat is how you go you wine can't tasting. Tell That's me. going to the races. I know, but also wineries. All right. I'm going to wear like long gloves. If we're wearing hats, we're wearing pearls. You saw, oh, you saw the hat I want, right? No. Oh, it's on Amazon. It's like $15. It starts from your head and literally goes down past your waist. Here's the deal, guys. If people donate some money to the podcast, <laughs> Dre is going to get herself a big ass hat. Um, If people donate money, you get a hat and Cameron gets a hat. We and we'll all go wine tasting. And we all have to wear these gigantic. Like I insist upon pearls in our hats. <laughs> in the hats? Not in the hats. We will be in hats oh, oh, and oh. pearls. Okay. All right. It used to be my thing. I'd I'm go not gonna surfing re- in pearls. Just no pearls in pearls. I don't. Okay. Is it fancy? It's fancy. Okay. Old ladies in pearls. It's like a thing. Mm. But we're not old. That's the juxtapos- juxtaposition. Mm, it's a joke. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Trey, you got a story for me? <laughs> Almost. Let me tell you a little bit more about this wine. <laughs> okay, so um, the rosé is the Calafuri, and it's from Torm... Oh, you guys, with- why did I get this one? From uh, Tormoresca. You chose it. I said it, and I'm not going to say it again. Tormoresca? Yes. And guess what that means, Jackie? I don't know. Okay, it means Tower by the Sea in like Italian. It. Oh, I've already heard this, and I forgot about it. Cala means bay, and fury means fury. So it's like the furious tides of the tower and the sea and the... Ooh, sounds very romantic. Yes. Yeah, you'd see that on, like, a... Not a graphic novel. Oh, God, no. Um, like we a had romantic that conversation, novel. though. Yeah. If wine is being bought by ladies, <gasps> I'm surprised mm. that you don't see more romance novel type labels on wines at the grocery mm. store, because I think... Just Fabio sell some Fabio wines. I do. <laughs> Don't take that. We're going to make our own wine. You would 100% people would buy them for bachelorette parties. Oh, like, 100%. come on. Hell yeah. The bottled million dollar idea. Yeah. Trademark Jackie. <laughs> Who would have thought that sex would sell? <laughs> um, okay, Jackie. I'm going to jump right into my story. Please do. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about Brian Jean Nichols. Uh, Brian is born on December 10th, which I just realized is my birthday. I didn't realize when I was writing this. How do you not recognize your birthday? Yeah, I was just, you know, working. This I'm, is, I'm so this into is my a story. fascinating thing about you. <laughs> mm. All right. All right. But he is born in 1971. Uh, he grows up in a middle class family and his mother would later work as an agent for the Internal Revenue Service. And his father was like part of restaurant businesses. Um, so he attends college at uh, Cootstown University of Pennsylvania. And for three semesters, he's there between like 1989 uh, to like 1990. Um, while attending college, he plays as a linebacker on their football team. And one oh. of his teammates. I mean, he's good if he's playing in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of his teammates would later describe Brian as having this like massive physical presence on the field. And he like knew martial arts and he like. He's this big dude who, like, knows all these crazy yeah. things. So people learn to be, like, kind of cautious around him because um, he was Does just, he like... also kind of fly off the handle? Does he have no control it, of his emotions? It didn't say he was aggressive at this point, but they did say that they were wary, like, around okay. him. Uh, They're Brian, not describing him as a giant teddy bear. No, 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 no. It's not like it's the opposite. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brian's coach, Jake Williams, compared Brian's physique, which was um, six foot one and 210 pounds, um, to that of NFL star John Mobley. Mm. No? Okay. Before my time. Okay. I wasn't into the NFL whenever that was. Uh, but during his college days, Brian um, is actually arrested three times. Um, and in 1990, during an incident at the university dining hall, Brian is arrested and charged with terroristic threats, Whoa. simple assault, disorderly conduct, and harassment. This is in the dining commons of the uh-huh. dorms? And it just says, like, an incident. It doesn't tell me, like, what happened. I want those chicky chicky nug nugs. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's not meatball day? God damn it. Um, what do you mean soft serve is closed? Oh, I hated the dining commons. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Mm. Um, <laughs> there's no story there it just was yucky um so he um gets charged with all this stuff and he actually pleads guilty to the lesser two charges and the other ones are dropped um in the next year brian is arrested twice in a month for criminal trespassing a misdemeanor like uh criminal mischief and disorderly conduct hmm. and those charges are later dropped so he's He's getting in trouble. He's not doing very well. Um, he's making bad choices. You know, he's, he's just boys will be boys. No, 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 no. 
Um, so Brian then um, changes college colleges and he goes to Newberry College from 1992 to 1993. And he plays football there until he, he gets kicked off because he's caught stealing from a dorm room. Um, and after dropping out of school, so he's dropping out of school at this point, he moves to Georgia in 1995. Um, there he starts working for um, Hewlett Packard. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he's actually with them for eight years. So he kind of finds some stability in his life. I think Packard is being real, like, uh, Bay Area, South Bay. Yeah. Surprise, yeah. there's a whole Georgia in Georgia, wing. yeah. And so he's, like, there. He's pretty stable with them. Um, he becomes, like, a systems engineer. And he works um, as a comp- – and then he, like, leaves that company and he works as a computer engineer for UPS from March 2000. So he was going to class at some point. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, yeah. he's got some skills. He's he's intelligent. Um, and he – so he's only with them for a couple months. And according to his brother, Brian earned around six figures during this time. Okay. And he, like, was attending church and he was still, like, kind of part of the community. Six figures in the 90s ain't nothing to shake a stick at. Shake a stick, yeah. I heard shit a stick at. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it's, it's, it's a famous saying. It's a famous saying. <laughs> um, and so also at this time, he has a steady girlfriend and they've been dating for like seven-ish years. And he actually... Ooh, um, people start getting mad at five. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's differing stories here. But from her perspective, um, she uh, found out that Brian had been cheating on her and he had gotten another lady pregnant. Mm. And so they broke up. And so three weeks later, she starts dating a minister at their church. And Brian finds out about it. He comes over, kind of confronts them. They kind of get into a confrontation, but he leaves. And then later he comes back and it's like five in the morning and he gets into her house and he's like standing in her doorway. And at, he's big and scary. At her door and uh, in her bedroom door. And he's like, if you just cooperate, like, I won't hurt you. And before he had been calling what me like, cooperate, he's like, if you, if you don't take me back, like I'm going to commit suicide. Just like take he's me back. Stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. So now when he's there, he's like, if you don't cooperate, like I'm going to make this a murder suicide. I have lighter fluid with I me. I never understand murder suicides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's like lighter fluid with him. He has duct tape. Um, he ends up, uh, he's like, if you, uh, don't cooperate. I'm going to light you on fire and kill you. Ugh. And so she obviously cooperates. He ties her up and he proceeds to rape her over seven hours. Brutally to the point where she has to go get medical attention. Jesus. And so he is later arrested and charged with rape, aggravated assault with intent to rape, aggravated sodomy, um, breaking and entering, false imprisonment, and possession of a firearm during co- uh, commission of a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're like throwing all the yes they're just like we're gonna put you away this is getting ridiculous so he goes to court and it ends up being a mistrial with a hung jury i wonder what that story is about Mm -hmm. and so brian is told that he's gonna be retried so they're like we're not gonna let this go we're gonna keep going after you and so um he's at the courtroom and he's like telling people around him he's like i'm not going to go down like lying down i'm gonna fight this and Brian's friends hear about the retrial, and they hear Brian talk. Uh, is he out in between the two trials, mm-hmm. or he's probably going to be remanded <clears throat> to jail in between? I'm pretty sure he is within the jail system okay. during this point. Um, and so Brian's friends and family hear that he's, like, getting kind of worked up yeah. about everything. And so they tried to warn the DA's office that he might try to escape, um, since if he's convicted of the rape charges and all the other stuff, he's going to face life in prison. Yeah. 
And so his, um, his friend tells prosecutors that Brian is planning to escape and he had asked him to leave a credit card in the pocket of a suit jacket he was going to wear to court. So he's like actively planning an escape and they keep trying to go to the police being like, hey, I always get really into prison escapes and I like you're always rooting for the escape because it's exciting. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, almost all the time, they should not be getting out of wherever they are. Exactly. Um, Brian's own mother also emails the Fulton County Sheriff's Office to tell Everyone's them. Everyone's like, look out. Mm-hmm, to tell them she believed that her son may try to um, take an officer's weapon. But all that aside, the retrial begins the next week. And as deputies are, like, bringing Brian out to the courthouse, um, they notice something in his shoes. And they find two sharp shanks hitting, hidden in his shoes. And it looks like he's taken a door hinge and, like, made them into this. Metal. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's intense. On his way to court. <sighs> Imagine it being your job to go through a prison and be like... How could you turn this into a shank? Yes. And scrutinizing literally everything. How can you make their, this? Their betting has drastically changed because of how many people kill themselves in jail. Ugh. They don't, like, you can't have a sheet. You don't get a sheet anymore. Like, wow. how much everyone else is affected mm-hmm. because of that potential danger? Mm-hmm. Think about being in prison for the rest of your life. Yeah. Uncomfortably sleeping. Yeah. All of it's fast. Ugh, it's sad is what it is. Did you, I can't remember the documentary name, but they talk about, uh, it's it's women and men in this jail that's like stacked on each other. Okay. And uh, if you drain, they're like showing the cameras all these crazy things that they do, which yeah. is insane because they know they're being recorded. Yeah. They empty out all the water from the toilet and they, yes. they the like. The toilet foams. Uh-huh. And they, <laughs> God bless Kimmery. <laughs> I always bless imagine again. a little tiny mouse sneezing. <laughs> Okay, so what they do is they, like, take a cup and they drain all the water out of the bowl, and then they can start talking in between floors. Okay. So the men are I've, talking to the women, I've and they al- have I've girlfriends and boyfriends. I've always known that toilet phones was a thing, uh-huh. but I didn't really understand how it worked. Yeah, well, this one worked because it was on different levels. Yeah. It wasn't, like, spread out throughout. But there, but people have toilet boyfriends and girlfriends. It's a thing. Yeah, at the jail. Yeah. Yeah. Not an apartment building. No. Well, maybe an apartment building. I mean, you don't do that? That's how I met Travis. <laughs> he was up in 4D. I was down <laughs> Oh, I love that. You sound real cute. <laughs> what's, your, what's your room number, girl? Um, okay. Anyways, enough of the toilet okay. phones. Um, but it's really uh, like a good deal, a monthly deal. Like if you could get them. I, I <laughs> trash tagged them. <laughs> oh, like- <laughs> that was a good joke I, that I just didn't pick up on. No, right I just fumbled through it. No, okay. it was a clever joke. No, you don't have to give me a compliment. I don't compliment it's if I don't fine. mean it. You know this about me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're going to get back into my story. Let's jump back in. <laughs> so during the trial, uh, Brian starts taunting the assistant district attorney, uh, Gail Aberson and Ash Josie, saying, you're doing a better job this time because... They had done a mistrial last time, so or the hung jury. Seems like a bad person to egg on, but okay. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. The person that's fighting against you. Yeah. So they wrap up for the day, and Brian is taken back to his cell. And so the next day, on March eleventh, two thousand five, Cynthia Hall, um, she's a deputy. Um, she's five one. She's fifty one years old, and she's assigned to guard Brian, who's six one. 
And she's actually been assigned to guard him throughout this whole thing from the first trial till now. So they start to have this reputation with each other, like this kind of rapport. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so they've known each other. They're comfortable with each other. So after Brian arrives at the courthouse on on the bus, Deputy Hall escorts him from a basement detention area to the holding cell on the eighth floor of the Fulton County Justice Tower. That's a good name. Tower. Oh. Tower. Wow. Tower, tower, That's tower, your tower. Ta- mm-hmm. They're always so obscene. It kind of makes me mad. That I'm so good? Yes. I don't... <laughs> I try and figure out how you... How are you Googling that that's the weird, obscure thing you get? Who knows? I'll never tell. I, I hope you never tell me. I won't. I'll Unless you pay me money. <laughs> Remember that um, movie? But in case you forgot... Um, the definition of my wine was the sea, but the tower by yes. the sea. So great tie. Thank you. Okay. So for some reason, she doesn't require Brian to wear the leg shackles, which like they usually need to do. Probably because when they do their like secret handshake hello, it involves the like kid and play where you like tap oh. ankles. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, yes, that's probably what they're, they're friends. They yeah. have a rapport. Obviously, yeah. they have a handshake. Mm-hmm. Obviously. So she escorts Brian to the holding area where she starts to remove uh, his handcuffs so he can change into his civilian clothes for the court case. So he doesn't have to wear his prison orders. So she takes off one cuff and she goes for the other one. And while she's doing this... Are you going to tell me that he overtakes her? (laughs) Jackie, have you heard this story before? (laughs) Um, He overtakes her. He brutally attacks her there's footage that you can see and i I didn't watch it but um the write-up from it was saying that he was beating her so hard and hit her so hard in the face one time that her feet left the ground so unnecessary and um when and so he like pushes her into a cell and leaves her there and he leaves a cell and he has her like gun belt and so now he has her radio and her gun and her weapon magazines and just to let you know cynthia does live and she's eventually taken to the hospital and when she gets there her face is so badly beaten yeah that they think that she has a gunshot wound to her head. That happened in one of the stories mm-hmm. I told. Yeah. Yes. That's bad. And she she would never really recover. She's She'll be uh. blind in her right eye and her other eyelid droops. She'll have brain damage causing confusion, memory problems, and difficulty with speech. And she can't really walk unassisted. And she doesn't really have memory from that day. Jesus. So Brian grabs her keys and there's like a lockbox nearby and he opens it up and he gets um, a Beretta 40 cal semi-automatic pistol mm-hmm. and he he's in his street clothes at this point and then Brian crosses over to the old courthouse via like a sky bridge okay um, and then he enters the private chambers of Judge um, Rowland uh, Barnes which is the judge who's overseeing his, judge. his case yeah. Um, however, when he gets in there, there's only three people in there. There's two case managers, uh, Susan Christie and Gina Clark Thomas, and along with attorney David um, Allman. And Brian makes them all sit on the floor and he holds them at gunpoint. And he's just like, where's Judge Barnes? Where's Judge Barnes? He wants to kill the judge? Mm-hmm. Let me just run away. Get mm-hmm. out of there. Yeah. You're and- in trouble, dude. Run mm-hmm. away. Yes. So while this is all going on, Sergeant Grantley White, the court bailiff, walks into the chambers and sees Brian with a gun, and he tries to disarm Brian. Does the bailiff have a gun? Yeah, yeah. He has a gun. He's trying to disarm Brian, but he's not successful. Brian tells him, don't do anything, Sarge. Like, I've got nothing to lose. 
And so Brian ends up disarming Sergeant White and he forces him into, uh, he forces Sergeant White to handcuff Susan, Gina, and David. However, while Sergeant White is handcuffing them, he trips a silent alarm. And so, mm-hmm, but I like that they have silent alarms. Yes, 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 one hundred percent. Tower of power. Um, oh my god! But Brian has the radio, Fuck. so he's hearing all this commotion, and he's trying to be on the radio, be like, "Everything's okay, everything's cool, bro." And they're like, "No, no, 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 Sergeant White, we need your badge n- number." And they realize that something's going on. Yeah. And so, um, Brian puts Sergeant White into the bathroom, ties him up, and like leaves. And so um, Brian then enters courtroom um, 8F from a door behind the judge's bench. And so he's like coming in that secret door in the back. And he sees Judge Barnes in the courtroom presiding over motions in a civil trial. And he then shoots Judge Barnes at close. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Why does he not leave? I know. I know. So he shoots uh, Judge Barnes close range in the back of the head, killing him instantly. This is a bad dude. Mm-hmm. Brian then shoots Julie uh, Brindu, the court reporter, in the head. Ugh. In the meantime, Sergeant White. She's just click clacking. She has nothing to do with. <laughs> right? She's just a little shorthand. I, I think she, she. Everyone was running, and I think she was coming over to see if the judge was okay. Ugh. Um. So in the meantime, Sergeant White escapes from the bathroom and he gets his radio and he starts letting everybody know what's going on. Sergeant um, White's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're back in the courtroom. So Brian walks back into this side room where witnesses are usually kept like before the trial. Mm-hmm. He's looking for his ex. <gasps> but luckily she'd been running late that day and she hadn't arrived. It pays to be late. Everyone mm-hmm. who gets mad at me. Oh, no. Uh, no. I mean. Lesson learned. Oh, God. Damn it. <laughs> It's so hard to rein you in. <laughs> um, so Brian then leaves the courtroom and runs into an emergency stairwell. And while he's like in the stairwell, he runs into Sergeant Ho- uh, Hoyt Tes- Tesley, um, who had just arrived at work and was responding to the alarm. Like, yeah. you know, something's going yeah, on. Trying to... But he hadn't gone to check in yet. So he doesn't have a radio. He doesn't have, he didn't a, have his stuff. He doesn't have bu- his bulletproof vest on. Um, but he sees Brian and he sees that he's in the emergency stairwell and he's like, something's going on. And Brian takes off running. So he starts chasing him down seven flights of stairs. He doesn't have anything with him. Mm-mm. And, um, and he doesn't know that Brian's armed. Yeah. And so they, Brian goes out the, the side door, the alarm starts going off. There's a crowded street. He shots, he shoots two, f- uh, shots up into the Brian air. Brian does. Air, uh, Brian does. And everyone goes running. Yeah. And so he's running across the street and then he hears the alarm go off again because the, uh, sergeant, or uh, deputy's coming through. And Brian turns around and he shoots back at Sergeant Tesley two times. And Sergeant Tesley falls to the ground um, and he, because he didn't know Brian was armed, he never pulled his weapon. Okay. And so Sergeant uh, Tesley would later be brought to Grady Memorial Hospital and he would be pronounced DOA uh, due to bleeding from a single gunshot wound to his abdomen. Dang. So Brian is now running across the street into the underground parking garage across from the courthouse. And he sees a deputy driving in, and so he stops him at gunpoint, and he takes his car. Mm-hmm. Um, as Brian is leaving, um, as driving away, Larry McCary, uh, oh, that's a fun name, Larry McCary, it is. Um, who works in the Fulton uh, County Juvenile Court, sees Brian fleeing, and he follows him into a parking garage near underground Atlanta. Uh, Larry then parks his vehicle to block the entrance and the exit. So he's just like, bloop, bloop, I'm going to block him from getting out of here. Wow. And he flags down a couple of police officers. And in the meantime, Brian ditches his stolen car. So that's 
Stolen car number one. Yeah. And he leaves the parking lot and he sees a tow truck uh, with the driver still in it. So he runs out of the... He's not going to steal yeah, yeah. another car here. He leaves that one. I'm going to grand theft out of this. I'm going to mm-hmm. run down the street for a little bit. So he sees the tow truck and he's like, get out of the fucking car. And he steals his second car. And he starts heading down the wrong way on a one-way street in a tow truck. And he enters the Imperial parking garage on Cone Street. And on the fourth floor of the garage, Brian hijacks his third car that's crazy from um almeda kilgo and her uh and tells her to get into the passenger seat and at first she's just like frozen she doesn't know what to do he's like get in the passenger seat i would throw my keys and run that's what they tell you to do you throw your keys i know but he's blocking her door he's blocked like he's in your space and he's telling you scoot over yes he's like get over it parking brakes in the way (laughs) um and so she does and they drive a short distance and he he's like you're gonna need to get in the trunk and s- you can't get it. <laughs> I know. I think you just have to fucking run away. Okay. You're so, supposed to. You're supposed to. All right. There's all sorts of things that you do in the moment that aren't what you're supposed you to do. You haven't been there. You don't know. I, exactly. So while she's getting out of the car to go get in the trunk, she's yeah. like, nope. And she's pieces out. Good on you. What's her name? <laughs> uh, her name is Almeta. Yeah, Almeta. You run away. Um, so Brian then drives to another parking lot at Apparel Mart until he sees another car with a man inside. And his name is... He just needs to get on the freeway and get going. Don't tell him what to do. But, I mean, this is a bunch of gibberish. Um, so he sees this guy in this car. And his name is Sung Chung. And Brian then comes up with his gun and orders him into the passenger seat again. And this time, you need to get down on the floorboard. And this is his fourth car he's yeah. carjacked. This, <clears throat> that's why this is so crazy. How many mm-hmm. cars are you going to... Okay. Just wait. Brian then orders Sung to give him his jacket. So Sung gives him his jacket. And as Brian is putting it on, Sung is like, peace. And he gets out of the car and I runs out. I love it. All these people are doing the right thing. <laughs> so Brian then drives to the Centennial Tower. Uh, uh, another what? tower. It's another tie to my cocktail. Um, so he, Which is another parking deck across from uh, CNN Center. What city are we in? We are in Atlanta. Ah, yes. Um, and so it's like 9.20 a.m. at this point. And from the time he took his first car until now, it's been 15 minutes. Oh, wait. I know why he's not getting on the freeway. It's Atlanta. Uh-huh. It's traffic bumper to bumper. Uh-huh. There will never not be traffic. But can we talk about he this? He can't get away. Can we talk about this for a second? This is... It's insane that he's going from car to car. He's done the, he's, he's stolen four cars at this point within 15 minutes. That's what's so crazy about yes. it. He's in it for literally a minute. And he's like, ma'am, I need another one. No, he panics. I don't he's understand. Panicked. Yeah, he's he's panicking. Run and hide in a garbage can. Whatever he's doing is not the way to do it. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's not right? working. Um, it sounds manic. Yes. 100%. Just hide real fast. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about another carjacking. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we were at four before. Mm-hmm. This is going to be number five. So, unfortunately, um, AGC reporter Don O'Brien um, is parked in his SUV in a handicapped space. And Brian, who wasn't wearing a shirt, just comes up and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Uh, could you give me directions? And he then pulls out his gun and orders O'Brien out of his car and tells him to get in the trunk. And O'Brien refuses. And Brian hits him in the head with the gun and he mm. takes the car. Uh, later that day, O'Brien's car is located on the first level of the same uh, parking garage. Quit. <laughs> Quit it with these parking garages. <laughs> he hasn't left the... He, like, took it and then jumped it at the I, same parking I, garage. 
Okay. I'm not crazy for thinking this is crazy. It's insane. Okay. Okay. So investigators suspect that Brian saw another target and was able to kidnap the owner of the vehicle. And that's why nothing was reported after this point. And police tried to see if there were like any missing persons or like stolen vehicles reported from the area. However, the NCAA Southeastern Conference basketball tournament was going on a few blocks away. And, okay. and so, and, and like, and that's at the Georgia Dome. And so it's like thousands of people are in the yeah. area. So it's just like this mayhem is going on. There's and normal Atlanta mayhem. Mm-hmm. And, and he's just a basketball game. And he's getting, he's disappearing into the shroud. So Brian is featured on America's Most Wanted that Ooh. night, and the manhunt expands. And Fulton County District Attorney Paul Howard's office later announced that a 911 call had been received from a man claiming to be Brian, and he was threatening to kill Assistant District Attorney Gail Abramson and Ass- Assistant District Attorney Ash Josie, who were pr- prosecuting his case from earlier. Ooh. So he's just like manic. Yeah. So, Georgia Governor Sony uh, Perdue announced that there was uh, a reward out. There's okay. like $65,000 for any information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And put this guy in your garage. The city of Atlanta is in a virtual lockdown at this point. And um, hundreds of officers are in cruisers. They have helicopters. Um, they're setting up roadblocks. They have major intersections in downtown and mid- midtown. It's shut down yeah uh, more than a hundred state troopers and officers from several agencies including the fbi and off-duty police officers just all come in yeah. to help and at approximately 10 18 uh, p.m brian attacks two people at the summit at uh, lennox apartments and he tries to kidnap a woman named Iman Adden, and she's like walking towards her apartment and she's leaving or after leaving the gym and he pulls a gun on her and tells her that he needs to hide in her apartment because he's like a man on the run yeah and um so they like get back to her apartment and she's freaking out but her boyfriend shelton warren is there okay and she he's like what is going on kind of kind of sees what's going on he pulls her inside and starts wrestling with brian okay and in the meantime she goes and calls the police yeah and brian can hear him or her on the phone so he hits uh shelton in the head and takes off running um and then the morning of saturday march 12th carpenters arriving for work found u.s immigration and customs enforcement agent david g uh willem dead in his unfurnished house it was reported that david had been shot and killed late friday night as his new home located across the street from the summit at uh, lennox apartments okay um and at the time of his slaying david had been working alone laying tiles in the bathroom of his home which was under construction so he was just kind of in the mix of it and like brian just came upon him um and so David's body was found in the back bedroom and he had been shot once in the abdomen and he had been robbed of um, like uh, his wallet, um, his gun and his uh, pickup truck. Oh, another car. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Car Is number he headed six. to a parking garage or? <laughs> I mean, that's where cars live. So, yeah, obviously. I mean- you take them one to another. Yes. Um, at 9.50 a.m., Gwinnett County 911 received a call saying Brian was at the Bridgewater Apartments in Dula, Georgia. So they descend upon this apartment complex. And after some time, Brian just walks out of the apartment waving a white towel and peacefully surrenders to like a SWAT team after 26 hours of being on the run. Dude, mm-hmm. what do you think was that click over? Was he like, there's no parking garages around here? <laughs> Just leave those alone. But I'm, I'm going to tell you what actually happened in between um, the killing of David and when he surrendered. Okay. So um, 
It was later learned that around 2 a.m. on March 12th, Brian approached a woman named Ashley Smith in a parking lot (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) Um, at uh, the Bridgewater Apartments. Okay. And he points his gun at her and he says, if you do what I say, I won't kill you. And he forces her inside her apartment and he tells her, like, I'm a wanted man. I just need, like, a hiding, like, place. And he forces her into her bathroom and he ties her up with an electric cord and duct tape. And he places a hand hand towel over her head while he takes a shower. And he's like, I don't want you to have to look at me while I'm showering. I'm modest or something to the effect. Um, but <laughs> that's what it says. So, um, so she's sitting on this tool with this towel over her head. And she's just like, what can I say to she's show him panicking. I'm a human? And yeah. she's like, I have a five-year-old daughter. Yeah, you start giving details. Her name is Paige. And like, I'm supposed to visit with her. And like, I love her so much. And like, I'm the only thing she has. Um, and she's just trying to reason with him. And Ashley is um, held hostage for several hours in her apartment, during which time brian's like do you have any weed like i need to smoke some weed i've been in jail for a while yeah and ashley's like no but i have some ice which is slang for meth oh i was like it's a weird (laughs) it's a weird flip um some ice in this water and he was like oh um okay like cool he just randomly does meth he's like i'll do meth if you do meth and she was just like like, i'm down i got meth at my house (laughs) and she she would later reveal like she she'd been struggling with like a meth addiction yeah and like she'd like taken some like 36 hours beforehand and so she was just kind of like yeah in, in the thralls of all of that and um she was like you know what no let's not do meth um, let's instead let's read from the Bible, and so she starts reading. <laughs> she starts reading reading Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life, and she tries to convince Brian to turn himself in by sharing with him how a couple years prior her husband had died in her arms from a stabbing during a fight, Shoot. and that um, she's like. You know, like, I know you're on a bad path right right now, and drugs aren't also the answer. Like, flip it around. I, I have a drug addiction, and this is what drug addiction looks like. And she pulls up her shirt, and there's a scar. And so she had been in a meth-induced, like, psychosis when she was driving one time. And she heard the voice that said, let go and let God. And she let go of the wheel, and she, like, crashed. So what? she's just having a heart-to-heart yeah. with Brian right now. Um, and she actually later writes a book called The Unlikely Angel, The Untold Story of the Atlanta Hostage Hero. What? Because... This is why he comes out with a white towel? (laughs) Well, okay. So, and like she would later say like because of that incident, she's never touched meth. She's never done any drugs since then. Like she became completely clean. So they're talking and like the news is on and Brian can see that like shit is blowing up and they're like looking for him everywhere. And he's like, I need to get rid of this truck that I stole. Yeah. There's no apartment. There's no parking garages anywhere around (laughs) here. And so he's like, but to drive it far enough away, I'm going to need you to come with me. And he's like, I'm going to need you to get in your car and follow me. And then we'll come back to your apartment. And she's like, okay, cool. Can I have my phone with me? He's like, yeah, that's fine. They're friends now. So she takes her phone with her, but she doesn't call police. And they go and they drop off the car like a while away. And they get back in her car and they drive back to her apartment. And they kick it. So the reason why is because she feared that he would kill more people if she did not do what he said. Yeah. And she had taken it upon herself to end the manhunt. So she's just like, you've already killed how many people and carjacked how many people? How many more people need to be killed? I'm going to end this here. Uh, Yeah, I get it. I I get that she thinks that. 
I mean, obviously it worked. Mm -hmm. I'm wrong, but that's crazy. So they get back to her apartment and she cooks some breakfast and she begins to, um, again, be like, hey, what like, have? Well, I don't know, <laughs> an omelet. What? Eggs of some sort. Um, and again, she's like bringing up her daughter and she's like, hey, like, I'm going to need to see her today. So we're yeah. going to need to wrap this up. Um, and so Brian's like, okay, I'm out. And so he leaves and um, Ashley calls the uh, police at 9.50 a.m. And that's ultimately why the police come. And uh, oh, in a little aside, besides Ashley getting clean and staying alive, they um, actually gave her the reward money and they gave her a $70,000 whoa mm -hmm. yeah because she led to brian's capture yeah, yeah yeah um so on may 5th of 2005 um brian is um he goes to a grand jury and he has 54 counts including like murder felony kid oh he really yeah. racked it up yeah, yeah. He, he took a bad situation and made it worse yeah uh and brian brian pleads not guilty I mean, that's what they do. Um, and they try to do this whole insanity, like, plea. And, yeah. like, there's this whole back and forth, which gets kind of crazy. And you could read more into it if you like. Um, oh, and I got a lot of my sources from Wikipedia and Murderpedia. So just look up that stuff. Um, but this case actually became one of the most expensive cases in Georgia. Uh, $5 million for the prosecution and defense combined. Um, the shootings depleted the budget for Fulton County, which yeah. is responsible for at least $10 million in settlement fees to victims' families. Uh, Barnes, uh, the judge, Judge Barnes' widow, won $5.2 million in a lawsuit. And they give $5 million to um, uh, the daughter of another victim who yeah, sued I the mean, county. Yeah, I mean, you got to think... I would be super mad at how they were handling him as a prisoner mm -hmm. in that he was able to pull that off. Definitely. Yeah. And obviously from this, a lot of reform came from how For they sure. handle uh, prisoners. Um, but because of all these expenses, his trial kept getting postponed as well because yeah. like, they couldn't pay the fees to have the Oof. defense attorneys in there. Um, so while waiting trial, it is discovered that Brian is suspected of plotting a second escape. Yeah, of course he is. So an investigation ensues and um, they figure out that he has a, like a girlfriend at this point that's been helping him, not his ex, but another lady. And um, they also found out that two deputies who were reportedly paid cash for favors were part of this whole shenanigans. Ooh. And a paralegal legal who worked for Brian's lawyers and uh, Brian's brother were involved in like... We're going to get in trouble. Pounding all this together. Yeah. So a report said that Brian asked his long distance girlfriend, Lisa, to go to a Home Depot store to make a purchase of construction tools, including a, a masonry uh, saw, a circular saw and a jack. Don't know how those are all going to get in there. You have to bake a cake. Oh, God. Or you put it in the book. Remember that one time it was in a book? Um, Brian is said to have plotted an escape by sawing his way out of a cement block and exiting like the jailhouse. Um, and the reported plot did not get past the planning stages because they're like, uh, -uh Brian, you, you're out. We're going to move you to a different like county jail. Yeah, yeah. So on December 13th of 2008, Brian is sentenced to multiple life sentences with no chance of parole and to hundreds more years on more than 50 charges. Um, and they handed down the maximum sentence that they could, but because, um, there was no like, um, clear, like 100% everyone voted for the death penalty. He couldn't get that. Mm -hmm. So he is in jail for now until forever and ever. Dang. Yeah. Great. What a crazy story. Isn't that crazy? I was getting upset. You you told me I'd get upset. Oh, 100%. I forgot you said that. Mm -hmm. I got annoyed the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Each different parking garage, I got upset. So you got upset like eight times? 
So many times. So many times. <laughs> For each parking garage. Yes. I like how they had, I thought they'd ended and then I was like, oh, and another parking garage. God damn it. It's nuts. <laughs> That's a crazy story. Yeah, I picked some great ones. I know. <laughs> um, so to kind of wrap this all up and on, like on a high note, what do you, what's going on in your life, Jackie? Well, uh, this episode is coming out later in February, but I just got back from Super Bowl weekend in Tahoe. Yeah. And as a Niners fan, I'm very sad. Oh. But I enjoyed seeing all my friends. I had a wonderful trip otherwise. Yeah. Tell about the baby. <laughs> so uh, my friend has a baby. It's a, uh, a bigger baby now because it can talk. And uh, it he, can talk. He can talk. <laughs> I don't have children. So uh, we had all taught him to yell Niners. So he would go, Niners! And... Claire called it. She's a Seahawks fan. I still love her, even though she's a Seahawks fan. But she was like, you guys, I don't mean to like be a Debbie Downer, but when, if and when the Niners lose, this baby's going to make you all sad. And we're like, oh, ha, 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 the Niners are going to win. And then sure enough, when they lost, the baby kept yelling Niners and then was not getting the same response that he was getting. <laughs> he was like, Niners, should I yell it louder? Oh. Niners! <laughs> he, he was also, I didn't tell you this, he was also wearing a dog jersey. <laughs> Because it fit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Tim's dog already had a jersey. Oh. And now, now Bodie fits the dog's jersey. That's so amazing. It was really, it fit him well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fun. It was fun. What about you? Um, well, um, I think it was your friend, like Kim, or my friend Kim now. There we're, you go. We're all I'll share my Kim. friends with Yay. you. Yay. Um, she was uh, so nice. She like reached out to all of us and like made a Facebook group. But essentially, she's like, let's all be in a book club together. Yeah. And I was like, I have always wanted to do this, but never been a part of one. Maybe when I was little, when you're forced to. But I've also always dreamed of it. But again, it involves calendars and planning, <laughs> and I've avoided it. But I'm really excited to be able, because I used to love reading i didn't read i'm excited to learn to read oh my god <laughs> i didn't know how to read until like really late like you're just, you're saying. i faked it until i made it and then they're like you're in fifth grade do you know how to read and i was like yeah blah 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 blah. they're like no you don't know how to read and so i learned really quickly and i just started digesting books that's why you're into harry potter and and then i've just kind of lost i think with school i kind of just because you have to read yeah. yeah and the like passions out of it so i'm really 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 excited to get back into reading and like i don't want to do books on tape i want to like get a physical book and i want to read it and i'm so excited read shit out of it. i'm gonna read a shit out of this book <laughs> it'll be fun i'm yeah. excited i i too i'll go through levels of like being super into reading and mm -hmm. not and i've been a little out of it as of late so i'm excited to read a good book and then chat with everybody. We now like wine. I'm yeah. at book clubs. You have a glass of wine and you talk about the book. Yeah. And you guys, if you guys want to be part of a book club. We'll tell you what book we're reading. Read we'll, it with us. We'll tell you what book we're reading. No spoilers. Don't go give me spoilers <laughs> on our Instagram. Uh, shoot us a DM and yeah, we'll let you guys know. And maybe we can all have like a mini That's live stream. Fun. <gasps> we're going to have a live stream. That's fun. And we'll talk about a book. And then maybe next time we could be a true crime book. Huh? Maybe every night I get on and we do Instagram live and I just read a chapter. <gasps> yes <laughs> i'm not gonna do that there's so much i want to do with your personality it's so many youtube videos <laughs> like i want you to have like your own ted talks i want you to reenact movies for me i want you to give me synopsis of books like <laughs> i'm so excited <laughs> anyway book club will be very oh fun. yes yes yes, yes. Yeah, yeah yeah kimry's gonna be part of it we uh -huh. got some kimry friends we're doing a real melding of friends yes yeah it's yeah fun this is a everyone's kind of book club for sure um I had to tell you when we were doing that voting poll thing, uh -huh. I pulled it up my phone. I don't really Facebook anymore. Oh, yeah, and like worst. with 
the new business, I have to be on Facebook. Ugh. And so I'm on Facebook and I went to do the poll and it was like, choose your favorite book, one through four. I sell, choose your first, second, third, fourth. And then there was five books and I click like, this is my first option. Okay. And I was like, oh, maybe I can click two for my second. So I clicked the second one for the one of them and I click second again. And then it would just take the dot. It wouldn't let me oh. shoot. And I was like, but there's four options and there's five books what the fuck is going on this is my nightmare okay and i'm getting told i need to vote because i need <laughs> to vote and um it's infuriating and so i log out and i'm like really pissed off and then i think about it and i'm like oh i am so dumb what were you doing? and i log back in and i realized because i was on my phone i i needed to move the screen over and then i could see the, <laughs> the fifth place option that's fun. to vote for so, and then I was able to vote. <laughs> Phones and scrolling, man. Yeah. I told a- you about the time I embarrassed myself. You know that you embarrass yourself and no one else is around. No one else knows mm-hmm. about it, but you feel it. Uh-huh. I was reading the newspaper. <laughs> yes. Sorry. And I got to the end of the article and I swiped up <laughs> on the physical newspaper. Wow. And then I just went, Oosh. like, I just, a wave of embarrassment mm-hmm. hit me. Damn. It was crazy. That's embarrassing. It's a real embarrassing. <laughs> Um, okay. Bears and bears. <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap this up. I hope you had a great time. I had a great time. Jackie, your story was amazing. Your story was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will see you next week. Thanks for Bye. tuning into this week's Bye. episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com. For up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus. And we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays.